From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. Hey, reset your clocks. It's a new millennium. <laughs> I'm Bill Curtis. And here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. So, it is a new year, but it's not just that. It's a new decade, the 2020s. We were supposed to have a sea lab by now. There should be colonies on Mars. Instead, all we've managed to invent is slankets. <laughs> but before we get disappointed in the decade to come, we decided to go over why the last decade, the 2010s, were actually not so bad. We asked our staff and you, our listeners, to name your favorite moments from the last 10 years of our show. Amazingly, we found enough stuff to fill a whole hour. <laughs> I was prepared to fill the last half hour by humming patriotic music. Thank you, Bill. We will start with a not-my-job game with cookbook author Mark Bittman from 2013. My plan was to ask him three questions about the superhero Batman, but Faith Saley got in the way. Well, Mark Bittman, we're delighted to talk to you. We've asked you here to play a game we're calling Holy Bittman, Batman. <laughs> so we're sure this happens to you a lot, with a name like Bittman being mistaken for the Cape Crusader, the world's greatest detective, the Dark Knight. So we're gonna ask you three questions about Batman, specifically the movie Batman and Robin. That was the one with George Clooney as Batman, and it, it is widely regarded as the uh, very worst is that of the all one, the modern Batman Is that films. the one where Batman had nipples? That is the one. That answers the first question. I am never inviting you back, Faith. Answer. <laughs> Answer two questions correctly and you'll win our prize. <laughs> Answer two questions correctly and you'll win our prize for one of our listeners, Carl's voice on their voicemail. Carl, who is Mark Bittman playing for? Mark is playing for Liana Malkowski of Colorado Springs, Colorado. So the movie was horrifically panned by the critics when it came out, but one of the things that got fans especially angry was what? Was it A, Batman is shown sleeping while hanging upside down, B, sexy Catwoman was replaced by a character called Crazy Cat Lady, or C, <laughs> nipples on the bat suits? Guess I'll take a flyer with C. You would be correct. <laughs> Don't know how you could have known that, but yes. <laughs> In September of 2013, we talked to the singer Jewel, who told us how she managed to get out of her hometown of Homer, Alaska, and start her career, thanks to the generosity of a particular person, somebody we happen to have right there. Bringing you forward a little bit in time, you're 15 years old, you're living by yourself in an unheated cabin near Homer, Alaska. You are commuting to work by horse, which I love. Or hitchhiking, yeah. Were there horse jams on the way into downtown Homer? <laughs> there were not, but the drive-through was interesting. I can imagine. McDonald's, yeah. <laughs> and, and you get an invitation to apply to uh, Interlock and the famous art school in Michigan, and 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 well, tell me what happened next. Uh, I was given a partial scholarship, and I needed to raise about ten thousand dollars, which I wasn't able to come up with. And so, a bunch of the women in town and a bunch of my aunts helped me organize my first solo concert. I hadn't written any songs yet, but I did Cole, Cole Porter songs. And a lot of local businesses donated items, and we auctioned them off. And I made quite a bit of money, but I was still short. And Mr. Tom Bodet helped. Uh, he he made sure I got off to school, and he helped write a check and sent me off. Yeah. <laughs> 
so you, you, I, I just want to clarify, because I love this. So you're like, you, you're, you're, you're 15 years old, you're living by yourself, you have no money, here's your chance to go to art school. And, and after the concert, you were still short how much money? Well, this is getting quite personal. Well, <laughs> now in the book, you say that Tom Baudet, who you call Homer's resident uh, celebrity, mm -hmm. wrote you a check for $5,000. Oh, I forgot to put it in there. So yeah, sorry about that, Tom. <laughs> no, a... Wait a minute, no. you, you were getting all shy about information that I only knew because you wrote it in your book? Right. Well, uh, Jewel, hi, by the way. It's, hi, been, it's been a long time. And, and thank you so much for, for remembering that. But it's funny, I remembered it as, as $500. Maybe it was. It seemed but like $5,000. I, I like your version better, but... <laughs> I also seem to recall that your Aunt Sharon was my bookkeeper at the time. <laughs> and I just got to wonder now if I said, Sharon, why don't you write sure. Jewel a check for $500? And <laughs> I always loved that Aunt Sharon. Yeah, yeah she was always very good to you. Me too. <laughs> In 2016, the Chicago Cubs won their first World Series in a century. And shortly after that, the Cubs pitcher Ryan Dempster joined us at Millennium Park in downtown Chicago. We are told that you do a pretty good Harry Carey impersonation. I, uh... I should say before we go on that Harry Carey was the legendary sportscaster for both the White Sox and for the Cubs here in Chicago. I, I, I loved Harry Carey. He was like one of the first uh, broadcasters growing up in, in a small town outside of Vancouver that um, we would get Cubs games on WGN. And so I just loved him. The fact that he could talk for an entire inning and it meant nothing about baseball was yeah. just to me incredible. Um, so I always like to, Pat Hughes, who is now the radio voice for the Chicago Cubs, yes. Beloved figure out here. Absolutely. And he told me a great story one time was, he said um, they were driving to the field together. Um, they were carpooling down and Harry was doing about 90 on the Edens. He was flying to the field and he got pulled over. And Pat's like, oh, you're, you're in trouble, Harry. He says, hey, Pat, I'm a broadcaster for the Cubs. I'm never in trouble, all right? <laughs> I mean, you watch this, I'll get out of this ticket, no problem. <laughs> so the, the police officer shows up, he pulls up to the car, and he, you know, he says, uh, can I get your license and registration? And Harry says, you know, officer, I would give you that, but this is a stolen car. <laughs> <laughs> So he says, uh, sir, you mind getting out of the vehicle? At this point, he kind of starts to sense something's going on. He says, is there anything else you want to tell me? He's like, to be honest with you, I got a loaded gun in the glove compartment. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, all right, sir. He's like, uh, you know, come on out here. He gets him out of the car, and he, he says, is there anything else? I'm going to call my partner in here. Is there anything else you want to tell me? He's like, you know, if we're going to get right down to it, uh, officer, I got a dead body in the truck, and I bought a little bit of a, a timeline here. <laughs> so now they got Harry and Pat, and they're over by the car in the trunk of the car, and this cop's going through the car, and then all of a sudden his partner comes up to him, he says, hey, uh, Mr. Carey, can I talk to you? And he says, what is it, officer? He says, well, my partner said that you said this was a stolen car. It's registered to you. <laughs> he said, you have a loaded gun in the glove compartment. There's nothing but in there but insurance papers. And he said, you have a dead body in the trunk and all you have in there is golf clubs and he looks the cop in the eye and says let me guess that son of a was gonna tell you I was speeding too 
It was just a few years earlier, also in Millennium Park, when we interviewed a local hip-hop artist who seemed to have a pretty bright future. So, Chance the Rapper, you're welcome. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you. Oh, thank you. So you're a Chicago guy. You grew up on the South Side. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and you haven't been growing up for very long. You're only about what? You're 23. I'm 22. I'll you're be 22. 23 yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a young guy. You are. Yeah. And and this is the story we heard, which is that uh, you you've been performing since you were a, a kid, right? Yeah. Uh, I started out doing uh, talent shows and uh, open mic programs and uh, youth programs around the city, and yeah. I've been doing it for a while now. We heard you, you, at one point, you did a fine Michael Jackson impersonation. Wow, that's crazy. That's deep. Yeah, I did do that at, uh, <laughs> at my kindergarten graduation. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. So less than 20 years ago, but yeah, yeah. Re pretty recent. So, but the, the, thing, the story we heard is that if you have an origin story like a superhero, it's that you were, you were thrown out of school for a little while mm -hmm. when you were in high school. Yeah. And you took some time and you, what did you do? Yeah, uh, so when I was a senior in high school, I got uh, suspended uh, for having marijuana uh, around the school. It wasn't even really in the school, it just, uh, it, yeah. So, uh, I got in trouble for this, <laughs> for having marijuana, and I was uh, suspended from school. And so on that 10-day break, I started recording a project called 10 Day, which was my debut project and put a lot of people on uh, what I was doing. Yeah. And, and my understanding is you put that on the internet, you worked on it for a while, put it on the internet, was ready, and it kind of took off. Yeah. You started making your name very quickly. It did a lot for me, yeah. So you're, you're touring in hip-hop shows, uh, you've put out some albums that have done tremendously well, you're headlining festivals. What would you say now if he or she were here to the principal of the high school who suspended you? Uh, well, there's a strong chance that they're here because this is an NPR show. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> if they're not here, they're listening. <laughs> no, I'd probably say thank you. Shouts out to them for uh, all the inspiration. <laughs> for throwing you out of school. Hey, so, Chan Chance, um, how do you actually compose a rap? Are you so talented that rhymes just come to you or I would have to sit down with a rhyming dictionary and work for days. Yeah. But how does it how does it come to you? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I think there's uh, a lot of uh, premeditation, if you will, to making a rap. You know, you got to sit down, uh, focus on your breathing. You know, you want to do a good workout, push-ups, maybe mm -hmm. sit-ups, um, play cards, uh, think about your taxes, think about all the people that you've met. You know, in, the, in this life and possibly a past life, if you believe in that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you take off your socks and shoes, put a pencil between your toes, and you start writing. And you got oh my a God. masterpiece. Yes. I should write that down. Yeah. It's a lot of steps, so you should definitely write that down. But you, under, you understand that whatever you say about this, everybody here will believe you. Yeah. I was going home and I was like, wow, well, if I heard yeah. the most amazing thing about this hip-hop music, they write it with their feet. Yeah. Did you know that? Would you, please, would you please give it to me straight? I'm 46. Is it too late for me to become a rapper? No, I don't think so. Some people might say it's too soon for you to become a rapper. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> When we come back, more about the private lives of mice than you ever wanted to know, and Bob Dylan in a bag. That's in a minute on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Best Fiends. 
The five-star rated mobile puzzle game with over 100 million downloads globally is a must-play. There are thousands of fun puzzles and the game updates monthly, so there are always new levels and challenges to master. Play anywhere and anytime with no internet required, perfect for traveling and long subway commutes. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Download free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. I'm Ophira Eisenberg from NPR's Ask Me Another. Every week we blend comedy, trivia, and a special celebrity interview. Matthew McConaughey. Culture. (laughs) My greatest educator. (laughs) Ask Me Another from NPR. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. The NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Segal. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. So, Bill and I are reviewing what many of you and some of us think were the highlights of the 2010s on our show. My personal highlights of the decade will have to remain secret, but suffice to say, you're welcome, Your Majesty. Nothing dominated the decade like the internet did, the place where we ended up shopping, dating, and as it turned out, picking presidents. But trusting the wisdom of crowds didn't always work out, as we saw in this story from March 2016. Luke, the British National Environmental Research Council decided to let the public pick a name for its new research vessel via an internet poll. (laughs) And the people chose, in their wisdom, in our wisdom, Chose what name? This is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> this is why. Because people will name things Bodie McBoatface. Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> they were hoping for a great and noble name from British history like the RMS Shackleton or the RMS Benny Hill. But no, <laughs> the internet has spoken. The vessel shall henceforth be Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> You may laugh, and you will, but think of the crew who has to serve. Aye, she's a good ship. There she sits. Bodie McBoatface. Aye, she is Yar. And and there is nobody more stern and commanding, right, than a British naval captain. And can you imagine that poor guy? Hail to the ship! This is Captain Allen of Her Majesty's vessel, Bodie McBoatface. I like that. Wipe that smile off your face and prepare to be boarded. How did that work? Did lots of people come up with that name independently? No, one guy who has apologized came up with it. And uh, everybody said, that's the name. (laughs) You know that when it's time to christen the ship, they're going to have to do it with like a Capri Sun. (laughs) (laughs) In September of 2019, we asked Roy Blunt himself, an award-winning sports writer, about a competition in India. Roy, a competition in India ended in failure when none of the registered entrants could complete the task that they were supposed to be judged on. What was that task? In India. India. Well, uh, a competition, not necessarily a sporting... No. No. But it was a 
contest. Yeah, it was people... a competition of who, who could do something best, but it turns out nobody was able to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, does it have anything to do with the fact that it was in India? No, no. Except for the fact that, except for the fact in India they do eat a lot of legumes. That probably had something to do with it. Legumes. Yes. Well, none of them could pronounce legumes. <laughs> I bet Bill can say legumes so good. Legumes. Oh! <laughs> oh. It some, qu- some people ran out. This yeah. <laughs> that sounded quite Jerry Lewis the way you did that. <laughs> legumes. Oh. Legumes. No. Uh, eating, it had to do with eating? Not eating. What else do you do with well, legumes? I'll, well, I'll give you a hint. If they had been able to succeed, they would have been judged on length, loudness, musicality, and oh, blaming oh, it on the Oh, of course, dog. legumes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you got it. Legumes, legumes, good for the heart. <laughs> the, more, the more you eat, the more you... Exactly. Oh, I don't want to say it on the radio. In a competition oh. that is literally the opposite of the MacArthur Genius Awards, organizers... <laughs> had even developed a proprietary device to measure competitors' quote, fart parameters. But no contestant, no contestant, could produce even one entry on stage. Really? And of course, it's one one area where you don't want to push too hard to do it because then it becomes an entirely different kind of competition. Now, while the failure was a disappointment for everyone in the auditorium, it was a great relief for everyone in the auditorium. Wait, so over here, I'm just another guy, but in <laughs> India, I'm You could be a I'm champion! <laughs> Roy was also the panelist we asked a question to in November 2014 about a very strange experiment with mice. Roy, scientists reported this week in an interesting memory experiment in which they were able to use a laser to replace bad memories in mice with good memories. And mice have lots of bad memories. Oh, they do. Oh. It's something in mice. <laughs> now, 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 put that aside. Because the time. Uh, but how the laser... I can't go back there, man! <laughs> it was like I was trapped in a maze! <laughs> right turn, left turn, right turn, left turn! Oh, my God! Where's my cheese? Just give me the cheese! <laughs> many, many just kept badgering me and badgering me and badgering me! Now, what I want you to do is, is I want you to forget about the bit about changing good memories into bad with the laser. We don't know what that was about, and maybe it'll be useful someday. What we were interested in is how, because they needed to do this experiment, and they needed to uh, give the mice a bad memory, which they did with an electric shock. But they needed to also create a good memory for the mouse yeah. to conduct these experiments. And they gave each of the male mice what? A memory of a... Um you know, a, a female mouse. Well, not, not a memory. Well, they did, but not just one. I'll give you a hint. Oh. It's, it's sort of like a massage à trois. <laughs> two, a, a memory of doing it with two female yeah, mice? Yeah, they basically... Oh. They Whoa. basically, in order to give these mice good memories that they could then experiment with, they gave the mice threesomes. They Whoa. Wow. It's wow. always been a fantasy of mine. <laughs> 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 Never said it out loud. It's like these guys know me. <laughs> so what we imagine is like, it's right like the scientists are sitting around, right? And they're thinking about, about what would give a mouse a good memory. And just, you know, as one of the scientists was about to say, well, we could go with cheese. Another scientist shouts out, threesome. Threesome. One scientist said, how about fishing with their dad? 
<laughs> and the mice all said, no, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 listen to the first guy, listen to the first guy. <laughs> What, what's the bad memory? Do we know? The bad memory was being on a wheel while the guy with the threesome was in the other tank. <laughs> Trying to get over there to right. join yeah, in. You don't yeah. get anywhere. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting closer. <laughs> In June of 2017, we asked Paula Poundstone about a brand new snack food, uh, sort of, in China. Whatever it was, of course, it got her mad. Paula, in China, (laughs) shoppers can now purchase potato chip bags that contain what? Well, the obvious answer, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Potato chips. No. Can you give me a hint? Yeah. I hate to ask for it, but... Br- brands include Lay's Lady Lay's. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. That's that's Lay's one. Lady Lay's. That include Eric Clapton? What? Eric Clapton? <laughs> Eric, Eric Clapton is inside no, the potato No, first of all, it's not bag. Eric Clapton. Who is you're it? Think, you're thinking of Layla. Who is it? No, how about, Lay, how about, Lady Lay's. another hint? Lay across my big breast Yeah. Th- that, who, who is that? that? I, it's not Eric Clapton. Who is it? Oh, is it Bob, Bob Dylan? Bob Dylan's in a potato chip bag? <laughs> no. That makes any more sense than Eric Clapton being in a potato chip bag? It's not in Bob China. Dylan. It is a book of his lyrics. A book of his lyrics come in a potato chip bag? Yes, they do. You know, I think our level of respect for Bob Dylan is just not where it should be. Yeah. <laughs> well, to the untrained eye, these look like bags of Bob Dylan-flavored potato chips. Which, by the way, is indistinguishable Ew. from salt and vinegar. <laughs> what it is, is it's a booklet of his lyrics inside the little potato chip bag. It's inside a potato chip bag? Yeah, Bob Dylan becomes Are... only the second Nobel laureate to have his work sold in snack bags, along with Gabrielle Garcia Flamin' Hot Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> none, of this, like... none of this makes any sense. Well, this, it actually does, because somebody it said, why, no, are, it why are you selling <laughs> books of Bob Dylan lyrics inside potato chip bags with a picture of Bob Dylan on the front. Yeah. And they said, well, we thought about what people really like, and people really like potato chips. Oh, who's the... <laughs> potato wait. chips are pretty good. Who's the we? When you say you, we thought about... The company I that can't. decided that they would like to sell booklets of Bob Dylan lyrics to the good people of China. Yeah. He oh. is the Nobel Prize winner in literature. Oh, I yes. thought the story started with the potato chip people who were like, how do we spice this up? No, but, no, no. But when you tell it to me that way, I get it. Yeah, it's like, well, why not? Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm in a nightmare right now. <laughs> you take something like you want to sell, and then and you put, you put something delicious chip. with it. Yeah. This makes I'm no sense it. at all. <laughs> Starting from it. the very beginning of the show, when Peter said, we're watching a bad thing happen, and there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> we can do something about it. This is America, and we don't get our Bob Dylan from a potato chip bag. <laughs> we just don't. In February 2017, we had a reunion with one of our favorite guests from the prior decade, the soul great Mavis Staples. So, uh, 
This amazes me, Mavis, but the last time you were on our show was about eight years ago. Yes, it was. So what you been up to since then? Anything interesting? Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, well, I've been doing a lot of things, Peter. Yeah? Thanks to you. Yeah, we started you <laughs> off. I'm trying to think of all the things that's happened. So let's see. You toured uh, with Wilco. Yes. The Chicago, great Chicago band. Yes. Yes. And um, was it Arcade Fire? As Arcade well? Fire. Wow. Yes. So... You were there in, in, in the middle of it in, in the 60s musical explosion. We all know that uh, we all, as we talked about last time, you and Bob Dylan had a little bit of a thing. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> How have we been talking about anything oh, oh, yeah. that isn't that? Well, we, <laughs> we, we covered that a little bit. Yes, we did. Yeah, last time yeah. she was here. So my question is, how are things different now touring around with Arcade Fire and Wilco and everything else you've been doing than it was back then? It's, it's keeping me younger, really, hanging sure. with these younger people. Yeah. But you didn't mention Dylan. No. You didn't know that I toured with Dylan, did oh, you? I didn't know that. You also toured with Dylan. Six weeks. Oh, my God. Six weeks. You and Dylan. Yes, indeed. And how was that? Oh, that was great. Now, let me say. This, this time, I proposed to him. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> did you... How'd that I did. go? Did I, you know what? Tell me what you said. How do you propose to Bob Dylan? Well, the first thing I said, oh, Bobby. I said, oh, I've been wanting to see you. I've been missing you. Well, if you'd married me, you could have seen me every day. No. Oh. He's bitter? Is he still bitter oh, he about was it? I said, don't treat me like that. Why are you taking that tone of voice? But he meant it. Yeah. He meant it. Aww. Is it possible and, that when he proposed to you, Mavis, you just didn't understand what he was saying? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be really funny. He's like, man, this <laughs> Yeah, but he made it really clear. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I understand where you're coming from. So we're, we're, we're about, oh, I don't know, 50 years from on from that. Was the magic between you still there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, someone knocked on my door. In the dressing room, someone wants to see you. Well, I knew who it was, and and I felt like I knew who it was. Sure. And here he comes, and he has these sunglasses on where I can see myself in the yeah. sun because it's a mirror, you know. And uh, his hoodie, had on a hoodie. He's wearing a hoodie. He's wearing a hoodie. So he's wearing a hoodie and like mirrored sunglasses. Right. So he looks like the Unabomber. Yeah. He walks yeah. in. <laughs> I think he meant to scare me. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know? So, all right. So, wait a minute. So, him walks Dylan, and he says, uh, uh, I said, hey. And, and uh, after that, that line that he gave me about, if you'd married me, you could have seen me every day. Yeah. I told him, I said, well, let's get married now. Yeah. Uh, That's called calling a bluff. Yeah. I, I, I really didn't want to hear the answer. Yeah. You know, if it was going to be okay. Yeah. You know, but uh, he told me, no. No. Oh. He, he turned me down. Did he really? He turned me down. Yeah. I said, okay, if that's the way you want it, Bob, maybe you're thinking that we're too old. When you, I wouldn't marry you, I was telling you we were too young. Yeah. And so it might be that the tables are turned, we're too old now. Yeah. No, it's not that. It's not that. I'm already married. I said, oh my God. Is he really? Oh. Yeah, he's married. Is he now? I'd have to wait till he got divorced. <laughs> <laughs> 
from what I know, it might, you might want to give him a call after the show. From <laughs> Mavis? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. One thing that's different from eight years is you've got a Kennedy Center honor. So I tell do. me about yeah. that. Tell me about that. Yeah. I, I just want to say, this is, of course, the big annual event I have at the Kennedy Center. The president always comes. President Obama yes, was yes. there, right? And yes, this was and just, I was... I was sitting right with them. Yeah. Mm. In the balcony. I was sitting right next to Michelle. Yeah. And um, it was so exciting. It was so, you know, I had been there several times. This Kennedy Center Honors, that is one of the best shows you can, you know. Yeah. And um, uh, I sang for for, um, Bob, not Bob Dylan. No. (laughs) (laughs) See what you did? I know. He's always on your mind. <laughs> you say well, Paul McCartney. I'm Paul McCartney. That's I was Did trying to think of Paul McCartney and I came up with Bob. Yeah. But but um Did he, I did. did he propose? No, 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 no. No, Paul McCartney, he was he was already I'm unlucky these days. The guys are all married. That's now. a shame. You know. But uh, no, uh it was just such an honor to be honored at the Kennedy Center. You know, because we met President Kennedy. Mm. We did his inauguration. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes. The Staples family singer. The state, my family. And, and um, when, when uh, they said the Kennedy Center honors, I said, somebody pinch me. Am I really being honored by the Kennedy Center honors? That's the one of the best, greatest honors you can yeah. get. I have I have so many, but this particular one I tell you it just floored me. Sure, just just made me feel like uh, I was on cloud nine. Sure, and not only you that, know. but you the Staples Singers was uh, uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Is that not yes the case? in 1999? There you go. You were. There was a. A, a book about you and the Staples Singers by Greg Cott from here in Chicago. Right. There's a yes. documentary about you on HBO. Yes. You've got, what else, what other worlds are left to conquer I'm for me the Staples? Oh, man, Peter, I'm just happening. You are. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up, the greatest story about Lucy Ricardo's landlady ever told, never before heard outtakes from guest host Tom Hanks, and Stephen Colbert pretends to be Lena Dunham. That's when we come back with more Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capital One. With the Capital One Saver card, you can earn 4% cash back on dining and entertainment. That means 4% on milkshakes with the kids and 4% on music with your pals. You'll also earn 2% cash back at grocery stores and 1% on all other purchases. Now when you go out, you cash in. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms apply. News breaks and big stories change every day. That's why we're giving you NPR's 10-minute morning news podcast on Saturdays, too. I'm Scott Simon. And I'm Lulu Garcia-Navarro. Up first, start your day with us weekdays at 6 Eastern and Saturdays at 8, a bit later to suit your weekend from NPR News. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. So we don't want to see the 2010s just thrown out with the trash. 
Well, actually, we do, but not before we highlight some of our and your favorite moments from the last 10 years. And one of my personal favorites happened during a visit with style maven Tim Gunn on stage at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. We had been chatting about fashion and Project Runway when Mo Rocca interrupted with a request. I don't, I don't mean to send us on a digression, but since you brought up I Love Lucy, you do have the single best Vivian Vance story ever. Oh, I do. But If you would like to tell your Vivian Vance story, who am I to stand in your way? All right. <laughs> Vivian Vance played Ethel yes. Yes. on I Love Lucy. My father was a career FBI agent, 26 years. Uh, and he was, um, uh, well, he was an agent, but he ended up being uh, J. Edgar Hoover's ghostwriter, speechwriter, took care of all this correspondence, and his office was two doors down from Mr. Hoover's office. And growing up, my sister and I loved the FBI tour. Sure. Um, and this one particular year, I was nine or ten, and my sister was there for six or seven. Um, and my father said, you kids are going to be so excited. Vivian Vance is in Mr. Hoover's office. And I was a huge I Love Lucy fan, and would you like to meet her? Well, yes, of course. So we did, and it was lovely, and she was charming. Years later, my father's in a nursing home with Alzheimer's disease. He's not at the Thanksgiving table. Our family has gathered. And all these rumors are out about Hoover being a cross-dresser. Yes. So I was reflecting upon that time in his office with Vivian Vance. <laughs> and I turned to my sister and I said, upon reflection, I know it was years and years ago, doesn't it strike you as odd that Hoover wasn't in the office? Wow. My wow. question is... So it's not a Vivian uh, yeah, Vance story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. But oh, how, was, how was J. Edgar Hoover as Vivian Vance dressed? Which is really what matters. Um, a, 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 a stunning house dress. No. <laughs> You if know, that's the look he wanted, he got a good one. But I have to tell you this, too. I, I wrote Please. about this in one of my books, um, Guns, Golden Rules. Um, it was published by a um, division of Simon & Schuster. The Simon & Schuster legal team went to task on that book. They spent two weeks with it. And they contacted Vivian Vance's two biographers, neither of whom knew anything about this visit to the FBI. And then they went to the FBI to look at their visitor logs. No Vivian Vance. That is... We had 10 years of limericks during the 2010s. That's three a week, four times a month, 12 months a year. That's a lot of limericks. And it seems like about half of them were about one subject. Here's a small sample. Hi, Aaron. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Hello, how do you do? This is Bennett Moon coming out of Athens, Georgia by way of Columbia, Tennessee. Whoa! <laughs> you sound like a late-night DJ. <laughs> is, your name, is your name really Bennett Moon? Yeah, and believe it or not, my parents were not hippies. Quite the opposite, law and politics. So I guess I came out with a, with a strange name to just fool all of you. <laughs> Bennett, welcome to the show. Bill Curtis is going to read you three news-related limericks with the last word or phrase missing from each. Your job, just fill in that last word or phrase or do it two out of three times, and you will win our prize. Ready to do it? 
Yes, sir. Here is your first limerick. At each edit and each table read, Seth and Evan would blaze and proceed. Their results were ironic, but the residue's chronic. Their old office walls still reek of... Weed? Yes. Weed. Yes. <laughs> Former Sony CEO Amy Pascal... They threw her out of the headquarters, but they gave her a new office on the lot, but she can't move into it because it reeks of pot smoke. Apparently, this is true, the former tenant was Seth Rogen. <laughs> and he, as we know, smokes so much weed, when he finally exhales, it looks like there's a new pope. <laughs> <laughs> They're fumigating, but still, she's going to get a contact high. And we're excited for when Sony greenlights the $50 million film A Bunch of Swirling Colors, starring George Clooney and a lava lamp. <laughs> Here is your next limit. Hydroponics are helping my plot. Master cottontails here quite a lot. I've found rabbit habits include fresh cannabis. Yes, Peter's addicted to... Pot. Pot. And I should say that the Peter mentioned is Peter Cottontail. <laughs> Utah is close to becoming the latest state to legalize medical marijuana, but one DEA agent raised the alarm in front of the Utah legislature. He warned them that rabbits might eat the weed, and then what would you have? You'd have a bunch of weed-crazed rabbits running around. They'd run rampant in the state's cornfields and taco orchards. <laughs> Here is your last limerick. Bennett, you're really great. Let's uh, see how you do on this one. Is the next one answer marijuana? <laughs> <laughs> how did you know? <laughs> oh, let him read the limerick. <laughs> ben and Jerry mix up, uh, what do you want to? Their new batch won't make munchies a gonna. <laughs> the bigger the cone, the more I get stoned. Their ice cream contains... Marijuana! Yeah! <laughs> ben and Jerry say, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, that when it's legal to do so, they will try to make some marijuana ice cream resulting in thousands of people simultaneously getting and curing ice cream headaches. <laughs> of course, they're going to need to make it a special no-melt formula for the 98% of consumers who will accidentally put it back in the cabinet instead of the freezer. <laughs> and I've already got Cherry Garcia. That's true. I Not mean, to mention Wavy Gravy. Yeah. So. Bill, how did Bennett do in our quiz? Oh, man, she is really cool. <laughs> she got all three. Congratulations, Bennett. Thank you so much for playing. Thank you. When we ask you about your favorite moments from the last 10 years, many of you mentioned the show from January 2017, when a Hollywood actor filled in for Peter. I have learned to live with it. 
Here's some of Tom Hanks you've never heard before. When, after our taping, he had to retake some of the lines he had messed up the first time. And he had some strong feelings about that. This is NPR. Very good. Woo, Tom Hanks. All right. Now, how, how many have been to this cuckoo, cuckoo show before? So, <laughs> so you know that the retakes come now? Uh, now, back when I was doing a little show called Bosom Buddies, <laughs> we, we had, you know, they say Bosom Buddies was taped in front of a live audience, which was true. We had people there who had to sit there for hours and hours. And when we would do retakes, the executive producer would come out and just say things that were so silly. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the way we have to do now, we are going to do retake. We're going to do the same scene that we just did. We're going to see it all over again. We're going to shoot from different angles. Sometimes we have to do this because uh, a line was fluffed or the shot wasn't right or some other post-production problem is going to be too expensive for it to take. But here's where you get to be the actor as well. Here's where you get to join in and be part of Boys and Buddies. Here's where you get to be part of our show. We can't do without you. So if you can't forget everything you've heard, everything you've seen, just get ready to laugh uproarious like it's the first time you've heard. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do next. Isn't that right, Bill Curtis? These that's are what, it. These are the retakes. Is that what they're called? These are the retakes. The retakes. All we need to do is I just want to, I just protest, Peter Sagal said nothing to me about retakes. <laughs> you might well, that's because Peter never has to do them, Tom. Yeah. That's that oh. actually true. Oh. That's, that's not true. Tom. That's not true. Well... <laughs> <laughs> These are on me. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> it's just 13 pages. Are you going to tell me? A <laughs> lucky number. After, after all of that blah, blah, blah from Manny, Moe, and Jack over here, they have, <laughs> they have nothing that they have to reset. Yeah, but us, they can just cut out. It doesn't matter. But the host has to have all the... You, you're the oh, of the, course. The burden of the show falls what, what to you. What you're saying is they dare not cut me out. Exactly. Is that what you're right. saying? Yeah. Whereas you, well, they were expendable, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Way to spin it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> here we go. Luke, according to a new study in the Journal of Public Economics, Republicans are more likely than Democrats to be what? This is amazing. You're like taking me there. I know. I know. It's just, it is. You're, you're so much more committed than Peter ever Is there was. a Golden Globe for this? No. Should be. There's not. There's nothing for this. <laughs> Big, fat, sack of nothing. <laughs> No, there is. I'm going to have an ocean of people coming up and say, hey, I heard you on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Why did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Support for NPR comes from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. Finally, my personal favorite interview of the entire decade, and it wasn't just because it was with Stephen Colbert during a show in New York in February of 2017. No, it was because Stephen was a last-minute, very generous substitute for another guest who had canceled on us. And Stephen insisted that we ask him the questions we had prepared for the original guest (laughs) so he could guess who it was. 
So these are the questions that our researchers and myself And then prepared. at the end of the thing, well, I, I guess who it is. Yes, yes. you're yes. done yes. to guess yes. who it is. Yes. You're yes. done okay, to guess who it is. It's very exciting. So here we go. Well, you've done so much, movies, TV shows, your book, but here's the big question. What's it like being on Taylor Swift's squad? <laughs> a, it's an honor. <laughs> B, it's a challenge. Sure. Because you always have to be on your toes. It's me, uh, Julie Andrews. <laughs> All the greats. All the greats. You have to keep your secrets. You have to keep your secrets because, you know, she always wears those very high-waisted skirts. Yes. So you can't see her navel. And the secret, where there's secrets, we can't tell about that. And I can tell you guys because you're not going to tell anybody, right? No. Her navel has teeth in it. Has teeth in it. And the navel. Belly button. Yeah, her has little sharp teeth in it. And the navel, actually, the belly button writes all the songs, actually. Now, uh, here's the next question we had prepared. Um, a lot of people uh, comment about how much you appear naked, naked on your show, and we were wondering, you know, if, if, if that's something that, that you feel yes. is important to, to get some kind of message across to America. I'm this, I love my body. Yes. And yeah, you I, do. Yeah, you do. I love my body. Yeah. And it's possible I wrote a book about it. Did you um, write a book about it? Evidently that? not. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I often appear naked on my show. You do. I often appear naked on my show. Now, wait a second. We should tell Stephen this is the one question we were going to ask him anyway. Exactly. <laughs> Just to be fair. I'm going to ask you one last question. Uh-oh. This is the only one more. Is it, is it weird to have all that awkward sex on camera with Adam Driver? <laughs> because I know that First we're all, making it sound that way. It's not weird. <laughs> It's not work. Uh, Adam. He's very professional. He's a, he's a professional. He's a gentleman. Yeah. Um, I will say the sex is real. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about keeping it real. Yeah. And uh, that's why, I mean, as I stand here today. Yeah. Okay, as sure as my name is Lena Dunham. What no! I want to say here, You name the day, you name the place, I will continue to have sex with Adam Driver, whether or not the show continues. Now that you you have solved the mystery, uh, let's talk to you about you. How are you doing these days? I am so not as interesting as this game. (laughs) Because you were so good at being the character Stephen Colbert for so long, did it, was it Difficult for you at first on CBS Late Night to be yourself on TV? Did you have to figure out who that was, how to do that? A little bit. You know, I, w- I was, wasn't sure how much uh, my character and I felt the same way about things. Yeah. You know, we're both, you know, huge Lord of the Rings freaks. Yeah. And <laughs> we're both like Catholics. Um, but one thing that my, my wife, as the character, was named Lorraine, and we had a terrible relationship. Right. But my wife in real life is named Evie, and we have a great relationship. Yeah, so one of the ways one. I started on the old show of really, on the new show, one of the ways I started on the new show, uh, knowing I was me and not the guy, was that for the first couple months, I would beg my wife, can you just come sit in like the fifth <laughs> row so I can look at you wow. every night? And I go, okay, I'm, I'm the guy married to her. Right. And so that helped a lot. Um, and other than that, it was, I wasn't sure how much... You realize I said that because Valentine's Day is on I Tuesday. I understand that. 
Do you ever think about what your old character would think of our new president, what he might say? You know what? I think he's a strong president. We've got to stand behind this guy is what I think. Yeah. Okay? All right. Get in line. All right? What part of all caps don't you understand? <laughs> Sorry, I was that just, was scary. I was just possessed. The transformation. Possibly. Stephen, we know possible. that uh, the president watches Saturday Night Live because he tweets about it. He doesn't like it, but he keeps watching it. You do a lot of material about the president. Do you have any indication that he's watching you? I don't know. No, he hasn't said, uh, he hasn't said Jack. Right. He hasn't said Jack about me. Huh. Do you feel bad about that? Do you wish he was watching you so you could speak directly to him as they do on SNL? I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for our look back at the 2010s as seen by Wait Wait. Thanks to everyone who submitted ideas for the show and our number one fan, Lynn Fom, keeper of the Wait Wait stats page, without whom we'd never know what we had just done. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godica writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our intern is Emma Day. Our web guru is Beth Novi. BJ Liederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dernboss, and Lillian King. Our technical direction is from Lorna White. Our business and ops manager is Colin Miller. Our production manager is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is California Ian Chillog. And the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Michael. Danforth. Thanks to Bill Curtis, all our panelists, all of the guests you heard this week, and thanks to all of you for listening for the whole decade. I'm Peter Sagal. We will see you next week. This is NPR.